Well, good morning again. If you haven't done so already, let me encourage you to reach inside your worship folder and pull out these message notes. Uh, they have the verses that we'll be looking at this morning, as well as some uh, quite a bit of blank space there if you wish to jot any notes uh, down on anything. Well, have you ever noticed uh, that it's easy to not be clear on the concept of something? Uh, we have a grandson, Carson, who is uh, almost three, and he's right in the middle of being potty trained. And uh, the other day, uh, I was watching him, and uh, he had to go potty, so we rushed into the bathroom and you know, got everything pulled down, and he hopped up on the seat there and pointed everything in the right direction and, you know, uh, did his business. And uh, when he was finished, he jumped off, reached over and grabbed a couple sheets of toilet paper and dropped it in the water. <laughs> Not sure he was clear on things. He just knew that there was paper going in that water, right? Well, I think... Uh, people who call themselves Christ followers can also be unclear. Because, you know, at its core, being a Christian means being completely surrendered to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. It's like we talked about last weekend, if you were here, that He's King Jesus, and I'm His subject. I line up under His authority in my life. You know, when you hear that term, Lord, don't, don't just think about that as a church word. You know, we do that all the time. We hear words, and rather than just taking for what they mean, we make them into something different. But, you know, if someone was your Lord, then you were their subject, right? There's a hierarchy there. You're under their command that whatever they tell you to do, you don't have a say in the matter, do you, except to obey it. That's the concept. Jesus is our Savior and Lord, we are to be completely surrendered to Him. But my observation has been that a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians don't necessarily fit that description. But instead, what we've done is we've created these other categories somehow. So as I was thinking about this over the past few weeks, I've kind of come up with some categories that I've seen people create, and I've given them some names. And so you see if any of these resonate with you or fit anybody you know. Um, the first category I came up with is what I'm calling the fire insurance Christian. And kind of the reasoning behind that is something like this. You know, nobody wants to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, right? That's pretty obvious. Uh, so what I do is I walk through this ritual to just assure that my policy is in place. And I don't have any intentions of living my life according to Jesus' commands, but I do want to avoid eternal damnation. And so I call myself a Christian. But see, this is a category that I've created by just having done what I perceive needs to be done to just keep from going to hell. I had some sort of conversion experience, and people have told me, well, that's enough. And so I'm a fire insurance Christian. 
Or maybe here's another category I made up is uh, what I'm calling the just enough Christian. You know, I want to be a Christian, but let's not get too carried away with this thing, right? I mean, I'm willing to go to church. I mean, I'm willing to try to be a good person. But honestly, as I make the decisions in my life on a daily basis, the claims of Christ never really even enter into my thought process at all. But see, I think I call myself a Christian. I'll see you next Sunday, right? Or how about this one? It's what I'm calling the hedge my bets Christian. See, I get that there's some sort of spiritual dimension to things, and so I pray the salvation prayer. I come to church. I maybe even get into a small group, but, but I also have my crystals to give me guidance, and um, I'm careful to only put good karma out there in the world. But really, I, I'm more spiritual than I am necessarily a Christian. But hey, let's stay on good terms with everybody. And I really, if I'm truthful about it, probably get more guidance from Oprah than I do the Bible. In fact, I haven't really sold out to the exclusive claims of Christ. I don't study my Bible so that I know what the one true God really wants me to do or or how to live. I just want to hedge my bets. I'm a hedge my bets Christian. Or another category is what I'm calling the external conformity Christian. So... For me, what that means is that Christianity is just about the things that I do. That being a a Christian is all about external rule following. So I go to church, and I obey the Ten Commandments and the commandments of Jesus and what the Bible teaches as best I can. And, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't go see R-rated movies. And really, Christianity, to me, is all about these external actions, these things I'm supposed to do or not do. But there's never really any examination of my heart. In fact, I can be a bit self-righteous at times. But, but rather, seeing, rather than seeing that as an issue... I think, you go, girl. (laughs) I bet God's sure proud of me for taking a stand there. And I spend all my time focusing on these concrete behaviors. You know, do these things. Don't do these other things. And I never really examine my attitudes, my improper motives, really the internal realities of what's going on in my heart. And so I'm rigidly obedient to these actions, but I can be downright mean-spirited towards someone and not even notice it. I can respond to my spouse with, with no sense of love or kindness. I can allow myself to hold on to a grudge for something that you did to me. And I can, I can judge other people 
because of the things that I think they should or shouldn't be doing. And all of this comes easy for me because Christianity for me is just about the externals. It's an external conformity Christian. Or here's one more. i got a couple more. One more is um, what I'm calling the pick-and-choose Christian. See, I'm, I'm clearly in the system of Christian behaviors. Man, I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I, I'm faithfully involved in weekend worship. I'm, I'm part of a New Life small group. I, I serve in a ministry. But here's the deal. Whenever I hear a command from Jesus, from the Bible... Uh, maybe from a sermon, or when I'm reading God's Word on my own, or or maybe it's just that voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Whenever whenever I hear a command from Jesus, what I do is I I sort of have this mini-board meeting in my mind to decide whether or not I'll ratify that. You know, I kind of approach Jesus with this right of first refusal. You know, come to church? Oh, sure. I'm good for that. Uh, serve in a ministry? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could do that. A give financially? Eh, well, let me think about that. A forgive someone? Man, I don't know. That's going to be hard. A walk in sexual purity? Man, now you're gone from preaching to meddling right there. And, uh, or be sacrificial in some area? Geez, I'm just not sure about that. And you see, the real issue isn't what we're saying yes or no to. The real issue is that we receive every command from Jesus with this kind of conditional mindset. You know, God, you tell me what you want and uh, let me think about it. See, I'm kind of a pick or choose. Christian. One more I came up with. This one I sure identify with. It's what I'm calling the mostly surrendered Christian. You know, I really desire to be a full follower of Jesus. I really do. But there's just a few areas that I want to maintain say over. Maybe it's my money. Or it's my thought life, or my sex life, or maybe it's just this one little area that when I start to hear the the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me about that, you know, I I um I cover my ears, you know, I start going, nah, 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 you know, whatever I gotta do to kind of keep that voice out. Kind of the the variation of the old hymn that I like to sing most is, uh, it goes like this, I surrender most. (laughs) You know, I surrender quite a lot. (laughs) Uh, Nearly all to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender more, well, more than a lot of other people. I'm a mostly surrendered Christian. But you see, the problem with all of this is that Jesus sort of really only left us with one category, didn't he? You know, he used words like everything, all, 
to be fully surrendered, to be completely surrendered to him, to offer him all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our body, all of our soul. And that being a a Christ follower, being a Christian means to be completely surrendered to Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. Well, look with me at this verse that we focused on last weekend, if you were here. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus, he said this to his disciples. He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He didn't say, hey, if you want to be my disciples, it'd be a good idea if you did this. He didn't say, if you want to be followers of mine, I'd really like it if you did this. He didn't say, if you want to be a a full follower of Jesus, then, you know, I'm kind of hoping you'll do this. He said, if you want to be a follower of mine, if you want to be my disciple, then you must be saying no to yourself and picking up your cross and coming after me. Elsewhere in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, Jesus said the same thing, but some other words he put with it in verse 37 to 39. He said this, anyone who loves their father or their mother more than me isn't worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, no one or no thing is more important to me than Jesus. That I'm going to choose to be uncomfortable for the sake of following Jesus. That I'm going to choose to die to myself so that I can live to Christ. Boy, that sure doesn't sound like fire insurance to me, does it you? Does it sound like doing just enough or hedging my bets or, or just doing the external behaviors or, or picking and choosing or even being mostly committed? David Nasser in his book, A Call to Die, says this. He says, it's not the fun news. But the good news, and if we expect only to be entertained, we will leave him at the first request for sacrifice and obedience. The people in the crowd did, and many of us do too. But hard words 
are just as much a part of being a disciple of Christ as all those promises that we love to hear. And in fact, if you don't hear any hard words from God, it's a good sign that you aren't His child at all. Well, I want to spend the rest of my time on a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have a Bible or a device, uh, let me encourage you to open it to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, stay in a hotel sometime. They're giving them away for free there. I'm just kidding about that, but uh, if you don't, the verses are there on that message sheet as well. They'll be up here behind me. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been preaching in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and he wraps it up in chapter 7. So halfway through chapter 7, Jesus is bringing the point of the Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion. And so starting there in Matthew chapter 7... And verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. But by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, it's thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says there's there's going to be a lot of people who say a lot of things about what it means to truly be a Christ follower. Some you can trust, and some you can't. And so he says, here's how you can tell the difference of who you ought to listen to and who you shouldn't. He says, look at their lives. What kind of fruit do you see? Are they producing actions and attitudes that are like Jesus? Does their life look like Jesus? Are they living in multi-million dollar complexes? (laughs) You know, do they wear cufflinks and shoes that cost more than the annual income of some third world countries? Or do they look like Jesus? Do they manifest actions of of love, and serving, and kindness, and kingdom pursuits. He says, inspect their lives, inspect their fruit before you listen to them. Well, he continues, verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus goes on and he says, not only do we need to inspect the fruit in these potentially false prophets' lives, but we need to inspect the fruit in our own lives as well. And these are some, I think, maybe some of the most sobering words of Jesus, don't you think? That it's possible to think that we're a Christian and to find out in the end that we were deceived into believing so. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Not a Fan, says this. He says, are you a follower of Jesus? It's the most important question you will ever answer, and it seems like a good place to begin this journey. So, are you a follower of Jesus? And I know you've been asked this question before. Because it's, it's so familiar, there's a tendency to dismiss it. Not because it makes you uncomfortable, not because it's especially convicting. The question is dismissed mostly because it feels redundant and unnecessary. You recognize that this is an important question for many to consider, but, but for you? It's, it's, it's like walking into a, a Boston pub and asking, who cheers for the Red Sox? <laughs> it's an important question. But you're so sure of your answer, your mind quickly dismisses it. But before you move on too quickly, let me clarify what I'm not asking. I'm not asking if you go to church or if your parents and grandparents are Christians. I'm not asking if you raised your hand at the end of a sermon or repeated a prayer after a preacher. I'm not asking if you spent your summers at VBS and our church camp or have ever worn witness wear or understand phrases like traveling mercies and sword drills. Many of us are quick to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not sure we really understand what we are saying. You see, one of the most sobering passages in the Bible tells us of a day when many who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus will be stunned to find out that he doesn't even recognize them. Jesus describes a day when everyone who has ever lived will stand before God. And on that day, many who call themselves Christians and identify themselves as followers will stand confidently in front of Jesus, only to hear him say, I never knew you. Away from me. And to be clear, that's not my opinion or my interpretation. That is what Jesus has said will happen. And so what Jesus does here in The Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 7 as this passage continues is he tells a story to help us differentiate a true Christian 
from a false one. And it's a story that probably most of us are familiar with, maybe even all of us. But I want you to listen this time like maybe your potential eternity could rest on this. Jesus goes on in this passage in verse 24, and he says, Therefore, see, because of all of this that we've just said, the preceding verses, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What Jesus does here is he contrasts two men. One he calls wise and one he calls Foolish, and the difference is what they built their houses on. Now, this isn't really a story about home architecture. It's a metaphor. And his point is that all of us are building our lives on something. And so in the story, both men and their houses face the same difficult circumstances of life, but the difference is their choices. And it isn't revealed until the end. One holds up and one doesn't. And I want you to notice they both hear Jesus' instructions. It's just one person obeys them puts them into practice in his life, and one person doesn't. You see, friends, we are all building our lives one choice, one decision, one action at a time. And the true believer in this story The builder who is wise, the one that Jesus will recognize in the end, is the one who obeys. Jesus says in verse 24, he hears these words of mine and he puts them into practice. Again, David Nasser says, we make hundreds of choices each day and thousands each week that either say yes or no to God. We may not realize that's what we're doing, but it is. And so the, the sure Christian, 
the no doubt about it follower of Christ, the one who's clear on the concept, is the one who manifests the fruit of, of an obedient life. It's the one who's whose life is built on the rock of the Word of God. That's the foundation of their life. When God gives them a command, they follow it. He's King Jesus, right? And I am His subject. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's the end of it. You see, the Word of God, the the inner voice of the Holy Spirit, which is always verified by the Word of God, When I hear those things, those are my instructions, not for me to consider and then to decide if I'll do them or not, but for me to obey. Again, David Nasser from A Call to Die says, Our struggle with excuses is the test of our commitment to Christ. Make no mistake, in a thousand choices to obey, we are faced with several thousand excuses to turn away and all of them seem reasonable and so certainly we're not to park our brains at the door but it's not our role to evaluate God's commands it's our role to obey them and hear me on this friends don't miss this I'm not talking about perfection I'm talking about wholeheartedness. I mean, none of us are made right with God by our actions of having it all together. Isn't that right? If you are in Christ this morning, you stand right before God solely because of who you are in Christ. Solely because you have received His death on the cross on your behalf. And if you find yourself frustrated with the inconsistency of your life to actually follow through and do everything that you know God wants you to do, then listen, I've got good news for you because you're in good company with the Apostle Paul. The writer of half of the New Testament in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 7, here's what he says. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I want to do, I agree that the law is good. But as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I just keep on doing. And now I do what I do not want to do. And it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin right there living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work in me that although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Does that sound like a guy who has it all together? You see, friends, the good news 
is that my right standing before God isn't based on how much I have it all together. It is all Jesus and zero J. But the only logical response to knowing that is to surrender my life to this Savior who died in my place, who took the payment for sin that I deserve. And so one more quote from David Nasser. He says, Jesus prayed so hard that blood vessels in his forehead burst from the strain. Drops of blood fell to the ground where he agonized with his father about dying such a horrible death. But his commitment to obey the Father was greater than his desire for comfort and approval. And so he went to the cross. And that's what it means for you and me too. To obey God, no matter what it takes for us to do it. And no matter how much we don't want to do it, on a daily basis... We are to say yes to God. You see, friends, Jesus asked for everything. Complete surrender. Not perfectionism, but wholeheartedness. Giving of who I am to King Jesus. How in the world we got to the place where we think that we're on solid ground as a Christian just because we go to a 90-minute church service once a week? I don't know. Jesus asked for it all. So, I just wrap it up here real quick. Here it is. Here's the question for all of us this morning. Are we clear on the concept? I mean, are we walking out wholehearted surrender to Jesus? To put it another way, is our life a blank check to God? Have we said, God, I've already signed the check. Here, you fill in the details. Is that what we're doing? That's what Jesus calls it to. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Well, let's be standing and I'm going to pray for us, and then as is our custom, we're going to sing a couple of songs as we continue to worship, and as we're doing so, I just want to encourage you, if the Holy Spirit maybe has spoken to you during this time, then just do business with God right there in your seat while you're singing. Maybe you've got something to confess, maybe you have an area of your life to repent of, maybe you have something that you've been holding back that you just need to give over to Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what surrender means to you, but if there's something standing in the way of that, man, deal with it right now. If it would help you to pray with someone, there's prayer team members who will be up here on the sides like we always have, and they would love to pray with you, whether it's about this or if it's about anything else in your life. But let's not waste this opportunity while we're worshiping to just do business with God. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I would just pray that you'll speak to each of us now. Let us hear what you want to say to each of us. 
And God, I pray that, that, that the response to this won't be guilt or, or fear or some sort of false condemnation. I just speak against all of that. But Lord, for those of us who have entered into a relationship with you, those of us who have said yes to you as our Savior and Lord, Father, if, if, if we're not living it all out wholeheartedly, if we're in any way just sort of holding something back or, or pursuing you maybe in some sort of half sort of way, God, speak to us. Challenge us to just lay it all out on the altar. So give us wisdom to hear what you want to say to each of us. And then give us the courage to take whatever steps come from that. And I just pray it all in your name and for your glory. Amen.